Huckabee. Straight shooting journalist Cheryl Atkinson. From Gridiron to Hollywood, it's Eddie George. And Stephen Curtis Chapman goes bluegrass. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, Thank you very much. We have a wired up audience right here in our theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. We hope you'll be with us one of these uh, tapings sometime this summer. Be sure and join us. Okay, look, I grew up in a time when Walter Cronkite delivered the evening news on CBS. Over at NBC, there was the team of Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. Later, John Chancellor. If you remember those folks, you're old. Some people are out there in the audience going, I ain't old, I just remember. <laughs> ABC had Howard K. Smith. Now, I don't recall ever having a clue what their political leanings were. In fact, long after Cronkite's retirement, we found out he was actually a flaming liberal. But he kept his personal views to himself and he delivered the news in a way that never signaled the kind of bias that we regularly see with modern news anchors. Same with newspapers. I can remember when people trusted the New York Times as the paper of record. Obviously, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and while newspapers had editorial content, there was a great big wall between the editorial and news sections of the papers. Not anymore. While Donald Trump might be trying to build a wall, the would-be journalists of today are tearing down those walls so that their entire operation is a commentary or editorial machine. And the real losers are you, the American people. News people hate it when President Trump calls them out as fake news or labels some of them enemies of the people. Look, we really need a free press. It's protected in the First Amendment as one of the bedrocks of our freedom. It's historically been called the esteemed fourth estate, meaning that when it comes to the functions of holding the government accountable and speaks truth to power, it's the closest thing to a fourth branch of government. That's to help keep balance within the system of separation of powers. But increasingly and exponentially, with the explosion of social media, that wall separating opinion from factual news has disappeared like a fog on a 100-degree bright sunny day. And what has disappeared is the public's trust of the traditional media to give them facts. Journalism is all but dead. Well, except for a few remaining practitioners, like our first guest tonight, Cheryl Atkinson, or Laura Logan, both of whom were once at CBS. They've had some pretty harsh things to say about the politicization and weaponization of journalism as a sharp tool of ideological warfare instead of just simply being a source of raw facts and information. Now, I admit, I speak of this often because we need to be reminded that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are not news sources, and they're not reliable. And by the way, neither is a Google search, because it won't lead to the most important aspects of a story. These are all private, for-profit companies who are not just there to turn a buck, they're trying to turn minds toward the most liberal views of policy and politics possible. And that means you've got to become your own editor, and you have to ask the most fundamental questions of your news sources. Who is the source of this information? Is it anonymous sources? What's the background? Disregard most of it. Ask this question, is it verified by two or more eyewitnesses and not just two or more people with the same opinion? Is there a balance of perspective in the story and is the side being given, uh, who's being skewered, are they given a chance really to respond in a fair way? And are speculations and opinions being stated as if they are facts? By the way, about the only reliable source I trust anymore is my own website for news. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Bible for everything else. Yeah. 
Be honest with you, anything else, and I just ain't buying without some serious verification and old-fashioned proof. And that's a fact. My next guest has not only reported on deep state spying on American citizens, she's actually been a victim of it. She was a longtime reporter for CBS and is now host of Sinclair's Sunday news program, Full Measure, with Cheryl Atkinson. We welcome award-winning investigative journalist Cheryl Atkinson. Cheryl, honored to have you here, and I want to jump right into it. Uh, you don't just write about being spied on. You were spied on by the U.S. government. Tell us about that. Some intel sources came to me and told me I was likely being surveilled because of the reporting that I was doing. A lot of government watchdog reporting, as I always had. And long story short, I was able to find some special intel forensic sources who looked at my computers and devices and found a long-term monitoring surveillance effort with government spyware, with government IP addresses used that didn't belong in there to monitor my keystrokes, keystrokes to get into the CBS computer system. Um, someone planted classified documents in the computer. And we were able to find forensics with great certainty as times and dates and exactly what they did. Here's what I don't understand. Why wasn't there a public outrage from your colleagues in the media? Because this is the kind of thing that is a total shredding of the First Amendment of the Constitution of an independent press. I will postulate something to the people watching. The 2016 shenanigans by the intelligence community was not about 2016. It was not about they hated Donald Trump out of the blue. According to sources that I have in reporting that had already been done, they were panicked at the notion of a Donald Trump coming in outside the establishment with Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who used to head the Defense Intelligence Agency, and it was known they were gonna clean house of some of these surveillance abuses that have been going on a long time. So there was panic. Cheryl, there was a, a big harumph uh, on Capitol Hill when Bill Barr used the term spying, and people said, oh no, we don't do spying. James Comey uh, came out and was just uh, aghast that that word would be used. What other word would fit for what has been done by our own government against private citizens uh, like you, other journalists, and candidates for office? There are two possibilities. Either they really thought Donald Trump and his, his associates were Russian agents, which Robert Mueller said isn't true. So they were e either really thought it and were entirely misguided, lacking in judgment, leading our intel agencies and yet distracted by these crazy tinfoil hat, you know, conspiracy theories they had that proved to be incorrect, or there was corruption involved. And I really think those are the only two possibilities that you can draw from the outcome of all of this, with Robert Mueller himself saying there was not only no conspiracy or collusion, but no coordination of any kind, he found, between any American and any Russian. Uh, we had James Clapper, who went on television and said that uh, there was no uh, spying on any presidential candidate. Everything was clean and uh, just fine, as John Brennan also said. These are two of the highest level intelligence officials. Well, of course, if they were involved in such an operation, and I believe the evidence indicates they were, that's exactly what they would say. In fact, I've written a couple of articles over the past two years called things like the intel operation against Donald Trump, because there pretty clearly was one. And I put that together with not only the facts as we began to learn them, but with information I was getting from inside intel sources who, before 2016, by the way, told me that there were widespread and have been widespread abuses of information presented to the so-called FISA court to get wiretaps, that it was a longstanding and well-known abuse by some in the FBI. So again, I would urge us to look at the bigger picture and not just stop with thinking about this was somehow only about the election year and Donald Trump in 2016. So let's also talk about uh the fact that you have dozens of journalistic awards through your very storied career at CBS, CNN, uh, PBS. You've gone after Republicans as well as Democrats. You're not a partisan. I, I, I've looked at some of the things you've done, and you went after a, a group of Republicans for corruption. You, you've been a straight journalist. There's not much of that going on right now. How come? I think there are a lot of reporters that want to do this, but I think our industry has been co-opted by political and corporate interests, which I wrote about in my book, The Smear. 
who have made it where only the narrative they want to get across is the one that's promoted and encouraged and the ones that you see on television so much. I mean, that's what I discovered at CBS, why I left ahead of my contract. The last couple years there, they did not want what they had wanted all the previous years. They used to want the truth and the facts as you saw them when you reported them on the ground. But it came to be where they wanted to fulfill preconceived notions. I would say that they used to write little movies in their head at the beginning of the day and tell you what the story would have to say and that you would have to find characters who would say certain words and phrases in your story. And if you came back to them and said, that's not what happened, that's not what I found, or even that's not true, they didn't want the story. I hope you continue doing what you're doing. I have no doubt that you will. I'd love to have you back because your perspective is extraordinarily important for all of us. And I want to thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate your concern. All right, to get real news, be sure and watch Sinclair's Full Measure with Cheryl Atkinson. It's on every Sunday. And for her latest reports online and her best-selling books, Stonewalled and The Smear, visit CherylAtkinson.com. Now, Keith has done a little investigating into the rest of the show. He's standing by. He's going to give us his report. So go ahead, Keith. Well, coming up, NFL legend and actor Eddie George and Mike finds the funny in the news. Later, the Honorable Bob McEwen defends capitalism and the amazing Stephen Curtis Chapman sings on Huckabee. Welcome back. All right, my next guest was a record-shattering college and NFL running back. Now, an actor, an author, an entrepreneur, and he's helping others tackle new chapters in their lives. Would you please welcome the co-star of the recent Tim Tebow-produced movie, Run the Race. He's a Heisman Trophy winner, Eddie George. I want you to know, Eddie, these suck-ups over here, Kelly Beck and Trey Corley no, no, in the not, band. They're not suck-ups. Yeah, they are. I like their wardrobe. <laughs> right? Don't you like the jersey, the 27? Uh, yeah. Who else is got on the back? Marcus Mariota, very yeah. nice, very fitting. I like that. Thank you for the love. You're an amazing guy, Eddie. I mean, I get the football stuff, Heisman Trophy. Mm -hmm. that, that is, like, pretty amazing in itself. First-round track. Uh, draft pick, play those seasons in the NFL, pro bowler, all those great things about football. But what amazes me, you go from that to singing, dancing, acting, <laughs> yes. doing a movie. Uh -huh. I mean, that's a big step. Uh, it, where does all that come from inside of you? Uh, uh, I did it through my three E's, like I, I'll say, not Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. It's, it's, <laughs> it's entrepreneurship, entertainment, and education. Hmm. And I went back and got my master's in business from Kellogg School of Business. I uh, studied acting, and that was a great way for me to take a lot of the uh, pent-up frustration, anger, fear, doubt, uh, and channel it through the voice of a character. Even my writing was therapeutic, it was cathartic for me. And it just led me down this path of getting on stage and performing. You know, Eddie, what your story is about, though, wonderful marriage, yes, stable family, uh, entrepreneurial activity, very successful business, and uh, endeavors that you've done that yes. have done very well. Mm -hmm. What was inside of you? Yes. Because something sparked differently than a lot of NFL players who never can find themselves after the NFL career. Well, football and my, uh, my accolades was just a platform. Uh. Now it's time to build on that platform into the next thing that I'm doing now. So I believe that everybody has the capability of, of having six or seven different careers in one lifetime. It's, it's, it's possible. Yeah. You just have to have the, the tenacity, the perseverance, and the willingness and the courage to go out there and pursue it. And it's not going to be easy. You know, my first time on stage was not a good one. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget it. It was uh, like this. And yeah. We were doing God's Trombones by James Wilton Johnson. I was mm. doing The Creation. 
My monologue was Judgment Day, but in the beginning of the show was creation, so it was an ensemble piece. Everybody has their own part, telling their own parts about creation. My, my lines were, and God himself stepped down with the sun in his right hand, the moon in his left, the stars clustered above his head, and the earth under his feet. God, when God walked, he trode, hallowed the valleys out and bowls the mountains up. That's what I was supposed to say. And you did it very well, by the way, but, very well. But huh. here's, the, here's the part. So. <laughs> It's a lot going on on stage. Yeah. There's, there's music. There's the drums. <laughs> you got some drums back there? Yeah. Hey, give, me some, give me some drums, right? All right. So there was drums going, right? And, and the creation of the world is happening. Yeah, there you go. And there's the sun, the dancers, streamers going. And I come down center stage. And I feel the heat of the lights, just like this. And I look out in the audience, and I see my wife with her arms folded like it's really fearful. Like, hopefully he gets these lines out. Now see my ex-teammates like, okay, let's see this, Denzel. We want to see how you can act now. And I feel the drums, and the drums go just a little bit quiet. And I say, and God himself stepped down with the sun in his right hand, the moon in his left. <laughs> the sky is blue. <laughs> The earth is round. <laughs> Their animals are in the pasture, and God said, that's good, and walked off the field. <laughs> that was it. Hey, you recovered. In yeah. fact, you recovered so much that recently Thank Tim you. Tebow put a movie together called Run the Race. Yeah. We've got a little clip of it. We're going to watch it, and we'll oh, talk about good. it. Here we go. I mean, Eddie's, you know, he's Ohio State Buckeye, but he's wearing Florida Gator gear. So that's pretty special right there in itself that, that I got Eddie George to put on Florida gear. The only reason he got me on the set was to put me in a Florida Gator hat. <laughs> but, you know, that was my character. Yeah. I was playing a coach, and as an actor, I have to submit to what is called for the character. So I wasn't Eddie George, I was Coach Simmons. Uh. And Coach Simmons was not a Buckeye. So that's my character. Okay, I got to ask you, if you were talking to a kid just getting drafted into mm -hmm. the NFL now, because some of them did right here in Nashville a few weeks ago, what advice would you give them as they move out of college and they see these dollar signs and all this hoopla that's happening? Yeah. What would you pull them aside and just whisper in there and tell them? Don't be deceived that money is going to solve everything. Mm -hmm. You know, have a, you should not have a plan B, have a, a total plan A. Don't fall back to anything, move forward to something. So begin this journey with the end in mind. How does that look for you? Is it an NFL Hall of Famer career? Mm -hmm. How do you plan on leveraging this brand into something else as a businessman, as an entrepreneur? Because you have a unique platform. So, yeah. you know, begin to identify what your passions and talents are and cultivate those things and surround yourself with the right people. That's easier said than done. Yeah. You have to go some growing pains to get there, but seek that out and uh, seek out the proper counsel, but begin the, this journey with the end in mind. You, you're an amazing guy because you've done so many different things that don't mm -hmm. necessarily connect together and you've done them successfully. I just wonder if there's something out there in the future, all these things you've done well, um, you're gonna run for public office someday. You know, um, we can always use uh, great leaders um, with diverse backgrounds. Yeah. And if I'm called to do that, I'm gonna wear that hat and, yeah. and go put my best foot forward in that. But if not, I'm continue to do Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot safer. Yeah. I think you'll it enjoy is. it more. Yes. Eddie George, great having you Man, here. Thanks for having me. All right, pick up Eddie and Tamara George's book. It's a great book for couples. It's called Married for Real on Amazon. Every couple needs a little help in their marriage. And also remember the movie, Run the Race. It's going to be available very soon for you to own. Pre-order your copy and see more at runtheracemovie.com. Learn more about all of Eddie's great projects at eddiegeorge.com. That is eddiegeorge.com. It is right there on your screen to write it down and to check it out. Hey, Keith, tell us what other MVPs we got coming up on the show tonight. Oh, we've got a bunch of them. Next, get ready to laugh with Mike's funny news stories in case you missed it. And Huck's hero, David Hain. And don't miss Grammy-winning singer Stephen Curtis Chapman's performance right here on Huckabee. Imagine having to flee the United States with just the clothes on your back. 
Well, that's what Venezuelans are doing because of the madness that they face inside their homeland. But Samaritan's Purse is there as they cross the border into Colombia to provide medical care, shelter, and food, along with the love of Christ. These refugees need our help. Please call or visit the Samaritan's Purse website today and give as generous a gift as you are able to share. That gift is going to heal bodies, bring hope, and it'll change lives for eternity. God bless you for helping Samaritan's Purse help people all over the world. Well, from shattering world records to nostril hair extensions, we've got the news that is nothing to sneeze at on the little segment we like to call, In Case You Missed It. All right, so what do you think of when I say Idaho? Famous potatoes, I'm sure. Yeah, the audience, of course, thinks that. Well, not anymore, because Mr. David Rush just broke his 100th Guinness World Record. Mr. Rush holds records for feats like this one. World's slowest juggler, where he only caught a ball 22 times in a minute. He also has walked the farthest with a lawnmower balanced on his chin. And he holds the record for the fastest blindfolded balloon popping. So what did he do for his 100th Guinness World Record? Well, it is a fitting one. He put 100 lit candles in his mouth at one time. Don't miss my joke. I said his record is a fitting one. <laughs> now, the impressive thing is that once his support team member lights these puppies, David Rush holds them in his mouth for 30 seconds. This is an event where you certainly don't want to be burning the candle at both ends. That's right. <laughs> now, it was reported that once Rush set the record, they snuffed out all the candles, and he was delighted. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a long time before someone matches Mr. Rush's candle record, that's for sure. All right, well, if this show is known for anything, it's staying on the cutting edge of fashion and beauty trends. I mean, one look at Trey and the Music City Connection, that'll tell you something right there. So here is the latest one that I hope they don't get themselves into. Ladies, pay special attention, because this is something you may want. Nostril hair extensions. Ooh, nice. Forget all that painful plucking and trimming of nasty nose hair. Let it all hang out. Or even purchase more and weave it in. Instagrammer Gretchen Chin took the lead on this fashion forward trend using false eyelashes to get the long flowing nose hair look. What a prophetic beauty idea. We should probably call her Nostraldamus. Yeah, the concept actually has caught on, and you can see uh, and use the hashtag, hashtag nose hair extensions to see all the creative hairy schnozzes out there. I mean, do you think this fashion fad with the Nike swoosh eyebrows is coming on fast? I mean, ladies, if you're sitting there wondering, I say, just do it. <laughs> all right, okay, all kidding aside. Your nostril hair actually guards against spores and germs, so it could be that people that see no purpose in nostril extensions are actually just, and you're going to love this, splitting hairs. <laughs> hey, speaking of germs, Gov, I was actually going to tell you a joke about germs. Oh, really? Yeah, but I just didn't want to spread it. You know? Oh, please. <laughs> well, Governor, I, I, got a, I got a different take on this. I actually think you should support bacteria. Maybe the only culture we have left in this country. <laughs> Think about it. You two remind me of the pair of bacteria that went into a restaurant and the waitress says, we don't serve bacteria. And they replied, but we're staff. <laughs> I, I just don't know how much longer you two are going to be on staff with those kind of jokes. Okay, folks, I'm going to stop before this turns into a really hairy situation, just to let you know. Well, deputies in Punta Gorda, Florida, pulled over a car in a traffic stop at around 3.30 a.m. and asked the young woman in the passenger seat if there was anything in the vehicle that she needed to tell them about. So she reached into her yoga pants, and she pulled out a foot-long baby alligator. <laughs> Let me repeat that. She pulled an alligator out of her yoga pants. Luckily, it didn't bite her on the bottom. Of course, that would have made it a tailgater. All right, well, staying with Florida, and it is the wealth of head-spinning stories. An off-duty deputy was driving in Hillsborough County when he spotted the car flying down the freeway at over 100 miles an hour. 
Now, the car then slowed down to about 40, and with the cruise control on, the driver climbed through the car's sunroof and spread his wings for all to see. Fortunately, the highway patrol pulled him over before he came to a crashing end. Now, the driver explained that his car had a computer and it drives itself, he said. And then he said, I thought it'd be a nice way to praise God for a minute. He's lucky he didn't meet God pulling off that stunt. Well, it's time for the In Case You Missed It News Roundup. That's where we see how many outrageous stories we can share in just two minutes. Ready, set, let's go. Police in Phoenix, Arizona captured a runaway emu in a local theater. Police were able to find the owner of the bird by way of social media. Probably he used Facebird. Now, that's the end of that amusing story. Now, back in my home state of Arkansas, there was a canine candid in the Bryant High School yearbook. Now, my sister taught in that district for several years. Canine Research Officer Maya was featured in the yearbook in the Bryant Police Department social media page. And I say go Hornets, all right. A driver down in Memphis had some pallets to move and no truck to use, so he strapped two dozen of these puppies on the top of his sedan and slowly pulled out into traffic. I've got a feeling locals watching ended up yelling, Timber, the first bump that he hit. And over in Ireland, the 21 Ice Ice Cream Company hatched a plan for their latest flavor, chicken nugget. Now stop your squawking. It'll just egg them on. The ice cream features chunks of McDonald's McNuggets broken up and swirled in vanilla ice cream with additional chicken nuggets on top as garnish. Now, believe me, if you gag on this idea, be thankful you missed their cheese and onion flavored ice cream that they premiered back in March for St. Patty's Day. And finally, it looks like there's one more state where Alyssa Milano won't be having sex anytime soon. <laughs> the great state of Missouri's legislature has passed one of the strongest pro-life bills in the nation. So go get them, Governor Mike Parson and Missouri legislature. We are grateful to you and even grateful to Alyssa Milano's parents for being in favor of life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Alyssa and wouldn't have the chance to convince her that her own life and every other life is precious. Well, just like a conservative speaker on a college campus, we've run out of time. But always remember that we read the news. So what do you get when you mix a nice ocean view with friendly people? You get this sweet little town off the Atlantic Ocean. Keith's going to tell us why St. Mary, Georgia is our kind of town. Well, you can't always enjoy charming southern comfort and beautiful sandy beaches in the same place. But if you do, it's the comfortable southern beaches of St. Mary's, Georgia. All the folks in this wonderful little town know and even like each other. And high school football is still king on Friday night. Go Wildcats! Coastal St. Mary's used to be part of Spanish Florida and used heritage and invention that ensures a treasured visit is the gateway to the most beautiful wilderness beach around, Cumberland Island. You water lovers out there can enjoy kayaking and sailing on the beautiful blue waters around the island. For you land lovers, bless the solid ground of Cumberland and explore the ruins scattered through and take a walk through the maritime forest of moss-draped trees. Return to the mainland and lose yourself in this true southern town. The National Historic District is home to quaint bed and breakfast and inns, an antebellum mansion, locally owned eateries and shops, and plenty more for you to explore. This former port town is also the home to the Kings Bay Naval Submarine Base and the interactive St. Mary's Submarine Museum. For the last 46 years, St. Mary's has celebrated the invention of delicious little red crustaceans during the Rock Shrimp Festival. Parades, food trucks, and games are staples of this marine staple festival. Why, even the shrimp are happy to be part of this event. St. Mary's, Georgia is one of the best and only places to get away and enjoy the proverbial apple pie on a beautiful beach. And that's why it's our kind of town. Yes, indeed. St. Mary's, Georgia sounds like and looks like our kind of town. I even saw the picture of the armadillo in there. In Arkansas, we call those possum on the half shell, just so you know. 
I don't think they call them that in St. Mary's. What a beautiful community. I want to thank the St. Mary's Convention and Visitors Bureau for their help on this segment. And if you want to visit St. Mary's, Georgia, be sure to visit their website, visitstmarys.com. That's visitstmarys.com. Let me also thank Marsha Clean for recommending her kind of town to be our kind of town, and we enjoyed it. Keith, I doubt we could do better than St. Mary's Shrimp Festival, but we do have some more shows, so why don't you tell us about it? Well, next up, Huck's hero, David Hayne, then Bob McEwen on why capitalism beats socialism worldwide. And award-winning singer Stephen Curtis Chapman goes bluegrass right here on Huckabee. Welcome back to the show. We are always enjoying the music of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection as they bring us back in. Now, a little bit of nostalgia for me. Uh, growing up in Arkansas, one thing you learn from the time you're about a year old, and that's how to call the hogs. The Arkansas Razorback football team uh, has a very famous, if not the most famous, uh, sort of cheer in the country. If you're familiar with the call of the Razorbacks, then you and I can be friends even though tonight's Huck's hero is not a Razorback fan. In fact, his mission to help Texas combat its hog infestation, well, it's really worth rooting for. So let's meet our special Huck's hero tonight. Our cause is a faith-based nonprofit that uh, uses the feral hog population in Texas to use it to feed folks, but also to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. I used to work uh, for an agency out of the Pentagon, and one of my jobs was to go in at three o'clock in the morning, and I had to collect all the casualty statistics for Afghanistan and Iraq, and so I saw their names and their faces every day. Then when I finally got down here at Fort Hood, we had the, one of the largest wounded warrior battalions, and one of the soldiers that I had met, he told me, he says, Dave, I don't think I matter anymore. Some opportunities opened up for us to go hunting uh, pigs one night. And uh, I went out and we saw over 100 pigs in one night and I'm like, oh my gosh. Wild hogs here in Texas is an absolute epidemic. They are doing billions of dollars worth of damage here in Texas alone. And I thought this would be a great way to start to minister to people a little bit. One of the ways that this did help me outside of, you know, coming back to Christ was I have PTSD. And I have anxiety and depression. It never affected me when we were out in the field ever and my anxiety doesn't bother me it doesn't my depression doesn't bother me every volunteer when they first come they receive a million dollars from dave with the scripture on the back and the promise that we'll talk about it he actually brought me back to my faith that i've lost for probably the better side of 15 years now he's seen things and that you and i would never even think of seeing or dreaming of and so he knows what a lot of these guys have gone through. And so he can sense with them and he can relate to them. I know more of the man in the man's heart. And uh, God, I wish we all had one like that. That's all I gotta say. Well, meet the man on a mission to fight hogs, help vets, and save souls. Would you welcome Dave Hayne? Dave, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Governor. Well, the reason you are a Huck's hero is because you're doing several things all at one time. You're yes, helping veterans. Yes, sir. You're getting rid of a nuisance yes, that sir. really is something that a lot of people don't understand how really just despicable they are and what damage they're doing. Tell us why it's important to get rid of some of these feral hogs that roam the landscape. Well, in Texas alone, they estimate the herd between um, six million animals, five to six million animals. And uh, the herd is uh, growing exponentially every three to five years, it will double. Huh. And so they're doing billions of dollars worth of damage um, to the environment, to the crops, um, to the watersheds. And then they're also a threat to livestock as well and individuals. This, this one here, I don't know if anybody can see that. Yeah, we'll get a close-up of it. This but, is a, a hog a skull from one that you Yeah, this is from out. one that we took out. It was actually threatening a rancher's grandchildren when they were coming out of the house at nighttime. So you're doing the world a favor by getting rid of the hogs. But th these hogs, I mean, there's some value in the meat. There's a huge resource. We uh, probably give away um, 50 to 60,000 pounds of meat a year 
and we mm -hmm. use it to feed families, um, even our military, but even local people in the community that are struggling. We fill up their freezers with that meat every year. Dave, you get veterans out there to help you take care of these hogs. Why, why is that important to them? How does that really help them? Well, you know, I, I, I met a man, a soldier one day, and he said, Dave, I don't think my life matters anymore mm -hmm. and that I matter to people. And his, he had literally lost his face in Iraq in an explosion. And he had dozens of surgeries. And he says, all I get to do is go to formations and show up um, to my doctor's appointments. And he says, that's the rest of my military career. I don't think I matter anymore. And so uh, um, I wanted these guys to know is that they matter. Yeah. And um, the other thing is that is a lot of these guys are suffering from PTSD. And if you can get them doing something else and helping somebody else, like helping us to butcher the animals and then feeding other families, it takes the focus off of them and puts it onto something else. All of a sudden, they find self-worth. Yeah. And a lot of these things start to diminish in their lives. And, and Dave, there's another very important element, and you talked about it when we did the interview on camera. That is, you want to help these people come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's not just about killing hogs and, and even dealing with uh, PTSD. It's about finding a personal peace inside. Yes, I mean, that, primarily everything that we do in this ministry, it's multifaceted, but it's primarily so we can ask one question. If you died today and you were standing in front of God uh. and he said, why should I let you in? What's your answer? And yeah. then we just listen. And that's how we get to open up doors and minister to them. I don't know of anybody that doesn't thank you for loving the veterans, helping them, and most of all, for introducing them to an everlasting life. That, yeah. That's gotta be the greatest thing you're doing. What's next? Uh, do, do you need to build a processing plant? Is that something you hope Hogs for a Cause can do? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that we wanna do. Is one, we wanna get my wife back into full-time ministry. Mm -hmm. um, what happened to me is I was um, uh, diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer last year. Uh. So um, I'm no longer employable, and I used to work for the government, hmm. and so I, I've lost those opportunities. So anyhow, she had to go back to work, but we'd like that. But yes, we'd like to, uh, uh, to build a processing plant because uh, outreach, we could multiply that four or five times um, because we could do USDA meat. They won't allow us to take this meat and give it to the orphanages or the food banks or churches or anything because it's not USDA inspected. And then the other thing is we actually have a big heart for is uh, to actually find a ranch hmm. because we want to be able to bring our soldiers in there and our military veterans and bring those folks in there because we can minister to them on a full-time basis and now it's a kind of an iffy situation. Maybe there's somebody out there watching tonight and Amen. God touches their heart and says, I can make that happen. So I hope it does. Dave, thank you and you truly are a Huck's hero tonight. Thank, thank you. you and God bless you. You can get involved with Dave's outreach to our veterans. Visit hogsforacause.org. That's hogsforacause.org. Now, Keith's been hunting for a couple more acts for the show. So, Keith, what have you found out there? Oh, next, the Honorable Bob McEwen. Then, Stephen Curtis Chapman performed right here on Huckabee. Welcome back to our show. I had the pleasure of catching up with a very good friend in Washington, D.C., Bob McEwen. He was a congressman who represented Ohio's Southern 6th District for over a decade. He's a pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, smaller government advocate who knows why socialism can never succeed in America, or for that matter, anywhere else in the world. He's currently the head of the influential conservative group called Council for National Policy. Now, when we sat down recently, we talked about what socialism really means and how it might just disappoint a lot of people. Congressman, I want to start at this point of socialism, the infatuation that so many young people seem to have with it. What is it they don't get? Let's talk about America. There are skyscrapers all over the world. Why? Because an American invented the elevator. An mm -hmm. American invented the air conditioner, the airplane, the light bulb, the telegraph, the telephone. More books, plays, symphonies, more copyrights, more inventions than the other 96% of the rest of the world combined. The question would be why, and here it is. If I wanna get money out of that person parked at that street corner down there, I have to lay awake nights figuring out ways to do something good for them, such that they'll voluntarily, freely, reach in their pocket and say, oh, you're gonna wash my car and, and sweep the carpeting and dash, oh, I'd much rather have that than have this $10 bill. You're gonna make this, this app that I'll never get lost again, a GPS, I'd much rather have that than have this $200. So under free enterprise, the way you get money is that you bless another person 
They make an exchange which at the end of the exchange, they are both better off. Mm. They've created wealth. And that's the only way wealth is created. Now there's another way I can get from them. That is, I just walk up with a gun, I stick my gun in the window, and I say, I want 50% of everything in your purse. Now let's don't call that person a criminal. Hmm. Let's call him a congressman. Let's call him a city councilman. And the councilman says, if you have the audacity to live in Detroit, the yeah. richest city in the history of mankind, I'm going to take half of everything that you've got. And I'm going to, you're not going to have any choice in the matter. And so the people leave. Population of Detroit, smaller than it was in 1900. And, and 48,000 single-family homes are empty. So socialism always creates poverty. I've heard you do the most remarkable speech probably I've ever heard on understanding the basics of the economy called easy as pie. And when you tell it, I'm always thinking, why don't we teach this in our colleges, universities, and other schools? Give us a synopsis. We only vote on two things. I don't care if you're in Belgium or Baghdad or Boston. You only vote on two things. One is the integrity, the honesty. In, in America, we had, a, we had a biblical Bible system, protect life. Mm -hmm. No other nation did that. Life. Then liberty, notice the sequence. Liberty is precious little value when you're dead. So you have to have life first, then liberty. So the, that integrity, and then secondly, integrity plus economics. Those are the only two things that you vote on in, in Venezuela, in China, and wherever. In, in the economics part, there's either I create wealth and get rewarded for blessing people, or someone comes along and steals it from me. And that's called socialism. They use the group to say, get that person. We're going we're gonna, to, those rich people in California, we're going to attack them. And so the city, the state goes in. It happens every place all over the world. So those are the only two things that you vote on. Politics, P, equals integrity, I, plus economics. Politics, easy as pie. And I have it on my website. This cannot be accomplished apart from a spiritual, God-centered foundation. So you can have the lowest taxes in the world in Congo. But if everybody's stealing and, and you have to have police to surround your factory and you have to have a, a guard on, on the train when you're going to the border and you have to, you have to bribe the people at the port, if the lack of integrity, then economics doesn't matter. You have to have both. Mm. And, and libertarians sometimes are trying to think that they can have the economic freedom without the, without the integrity part. By words of uh, people on the left and especially most of the Democrats running for president is this term, fair share. Everybody ought to pay a fair share. And then they interpret that to mean that if you have accumulated some level of wealth, uh, you're not paying a fair share, even if you're paying the highest tax rates. What's wrong with that idea of a fair share? Here's the problem. Socialism doesn't know how people get rich. And so they can, the, the left can take advantage of that. And so they go around and say things, isn't it terrible? Governor, it's just, it's just really terrible the way that wealth is distributed in this country. And I tell people, this is like you get in a car in Columbus and get Interstate 70, and you got Indiana, you go through Iowa, and on both sides, all you see is corn, corn, corn. And then you go to Nebraska, and all you see is wheat, wheat, wheat. And then you get to Denver, and you, you give a speech. Isn't it terrible the way corn is distributed in this country? Isn't it terrible the way wheat is? No, no, wheat is not distributed. Wheat is grown. Corn is not distributed. It's, wealth is not distributed. It's created. And if you don't create the wealth, then you leftists don't have anything to distribute. And that's why people are fleeing. New York and elsewhere. New York and Florida now, this, this last six months, are exactly the same population. One arguing as to who's third or fourth. They're exactly the same population. The budget in Albany, New York, is twice what it is in Tallahassee, Florida. So you can make any rich place poor, or you can make any poor place rich, if you understand that principle. Venezuela is a great example. Richest What are the richest south? places with the greatest natural resources, greatest oil reserves in the world? And then now they're in poverty and many of their people are starving to death and four million have already uh, exited the country as refugees looking just to eat. Socialism creates poverty. And, and the, the Democrat Congress people from Minnesota are talking about that it's America's fault that they're poor. And huh. why in the world we allow members of Congress to say those things? Not one person, not one Democrat in Congress criticized those statements blaming us for what's happening in Venezuela. As, as you look at the landscape ahead, honest answer, you uh, optimistic or pessimistic about the future of America? Governor, I've never been more optimistic in my life. Socialism has run its course. They see what they're doing in Seattle. They see what they're doing in California. They see what they've done to sh Chicago. And 
and I think that America is going to have a revitalization for which I am so excited. I like that. A great place to uh, conclude. Thank you, Congressman. Appreciate you. Great to visit with you. You're the best friend. To find out more about Bob McEwen, his advocacy for this great nation, capitalism, and so much more, visit bobmcewen.com. You can also follow him on social media at Bob McEwen. All right, Keith, how are we going to capitalize on the time that we got left tonight? How are we going to do that? Perfect suggestion. Coming up, Senior Stephen Curtis Chapman takes the stage and dives in the bluegrass. How come he's back in 60 seconds? My next guest is the most awarded artist in Christian music. He's got, listen to this, 48 number one recordings, 58 Dove Awards, and five Grammys. I mean, that's going to fill up your mantle. Please welcome a wonderful human being and a phenomenal performer, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Stephen, I'm honored to Brother, have you here. Thank so you. So good to be back with you again. Well, indeed. These fine people. And they awesome. love you, as, as obviously a lot of people do. I mean, when I think about how many number one hits, how many Grammys and Dove Awards and all, uh, I mean, you're not that old. <laughs> I started with my first album. It, it was 32 years ago, mm. 1987. I was, I was 10. It was a children's <laughs> album. I did. Okay, I'm lying. No, not true. But it was, it was 32 years ago. That's, that is kind of crazy, but it's been an amazing blessing. And they get to still... Be doing it and still, you know, getting to make new music and play music and make a bluegrass album. How crazy is that? So, bluegrass, I assume, was a part of your growing up and an influence on your musical yeah. taste. Yes, my dad played music, uh, folk bluegrass music, um, as early as I, I can remember. My first memories are of music, and it was folk and bluegrass. It was banjos and dobros and those, all those instruments, just are kind of in my DNA. So, I knew someday, Lord willing, I would always want to make a bluegrass album and finally got a chance to do it. Stephen, one of the things that I think people love about your music, you write stuff that has depth and punch. And I think that's one of the great gifts God has given you. And thank you for sharing it with the rest of us. Thank you. Well, I'm again, so grateful. I, I, uh, I got to, you know, sing a few songs with my almost 80 year old father. He'll be 80 in June wow. on this album. Uh, he's one of the greatest influences in my faith and, and in my music. And, um, and also my brother, got my family involved. I got to have my son uh, on this album, my son Wonderful. Caleb. I got to have my daughter-in-law and even my, I call him Bluegrass Big Brother, Ricky Skaggs came and sang on a song uh, to put the official stamp of bluegrass on it. And um, ultimately the message I think that all of us want to communicate uh, with all of it is God, God is faithful. He has been faithful in my life and my journey. And, um, and if I can leave that with all the music and all that I've done, then and I've accomplished what I had set out to. Tell us what you're going to sing for us. Yeah, I have, uh, I, uh, those who know my music know that, that there was a song several years ago called Dive that I wrote. Yeah. I always thought this, this should be a bluegrass song. This would be a great mm. bluegrass song. And so it's my bluegrass version of Dive. Dive into the bluegrass, I guess, is what, it, what you'd call it. By the way, please give my regards to what I think is the best part of your family, your Amen. lovely wife, Mary Beth, who Thank I you. think is just... A hero of faith and a Amen. wonderful human being. Thank you. All right, as Stephen gets ready to perform, Keith is standing by, and he's going to tell you how to get Stephen's latest album. Keith, take it away. Well, pick up your copy of Stephen Curtis Chapman's Deeper Roots, Where the Bluegrass Grows Online. Or for more and his current tour, visit StephenCurtisChapman.com. Be sure to visit Huckabee.tv for another exclusive song from him after you enjoy this one on the show. Now, please make welcome Stephen Curtis Chapman. Hard upon the thirsty ground, carved their way to where the wild and rushing river can't be found. Like the rains I have been carried here to where the river flows. Yeah. My 
heart is racing and my knees are weak as I walk to the edge. I know there is no turning back once my feet have left the ledge. And in the rush, I hear a voice telling me it's time to take the leap of faith. So here I go. I'm down and in. I'm going deep. In over my head, I want to be caught in the rush, lost in the boat. In over my head, I want to go. The river's deep. The river's wide. The river's water is alive. So sink or swim. I'm diving in. The supernatural power in this mighty river's flow It can bring the dead alive It can fill an empty soul Give a heart the only thing worth living And worth dying for We will never know the awesome power Of the grace of God Till we let ourselves get swept away Into this holy flood If you'll take my hand we'll close our eyes And count to three Take the leap of faith Come on, let's go I'm going deep in over my head. I wanna be caught in the rush, lost in the flow. In over my head, I wanna go. The river's deep, the river's wide, the river's wider is alive. So sink or swim, I'm diving in. Seagull swim, I'm diving in. Seagull swim, I'm diving in.